In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. My mic's on, Jack. I've just checked. And uh, I'm here with my co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you, buddy? I'm good. It's been a good evening. Yeah, you've enjoyed the football. We won, so uh, it's, it's all good. The season never I stops. Had, I had my Cleveland football soccer scarf out and I represented uh, Cleveland. Uh, doing them proud. Awesome. And mate, so this podcast is all about the article you've sent me. Yeah, the, the Seth Wickersham story over on ESPN. I'd encourage everyone to go read it. Um, it's one Emmy wrote a piece on the Patriots at the start of the season that lots of people were very annoyed at. But I, th- I think with lots of these pieces, you're getting about sort of 90% fact and then 10% sort of sprinkling of storyline and stuff. And at the end of the day, everyone knows Bill and um, Brady clash. Um, do they get their heads together and work when the season comes around and win? Yeah, that's what they do. Um, so I've, I've got no reason to disbelieve a lot of this. How do we know it's 90% true and 10% not true? I would say if it was 90% nonsense, they'd be suing this guy. It's American culture with lots of stuff. If you're saying this is all rubbish, then yeah, where, where's Haslam and his lawyers um, suing the, this is all rubbish? And uh, half of it, it's already been out there and around. Um, Haslam was the one that wanted um, Johnny Football when lots of others didn't. That, that's well known. Lot, lots of this stuff is, is known. There's just some more details and uh, more to the story. And uh, it's, uh, it's disappointing. All right, great. Well, you want to start with the headlines? Um, I, I don't want to delve too long on the article. The main thing I want to deal with is when the Browns came round to hiring um, and Sashi Brown was leading the team and looking at the coaching search when they had come in, the favourites four to one in that committee was to hire um, McDermott. Um, it was uh, Haslam was the only one that wanted to bring in Hugh. And if you just look at what McDermott achieved with a below average team in um, Buffalo first season, ended the longest active streak of not going to the playoffs. And it wasn't a good team. Torrod Taylor isn't a quarterback that's going to elevate the team. And then he, he got, what was it, six wins out of none other than the awful, and I really do mean awful, Josh Allen. Josh Allen, six wins. And that's a hell of a coaching job. If he can get six wins out of... Um, Josh Allen, there's no reason Hugh Jackson couldn't get six wins out of Deshaun Kaiser. Um, very similar players in lots of aspects. So I think it would have been really interesting to see if that decision had been made. But let's be honest, what's happened's happened. Hopefully, um, lessons will be learned moving forward. But hey, you never know. We might be back in this position in a couple of years. But the main thing I wanted to focus on was the really, really interesting piece that got leaked. Um, it was just a one-pager which said, Brown's guardrails. So it's basically the founding 
principles on what this regime was built on. And it's not just the Sashi regime. Lots of this is from Paul de Podesta, um, which obviously is still in the building. And there, there is a still strong support for analytics. Um, so we're just going to go through bit by bit and discuss what was on there. You ready for me to kick off, Paul? Yeah, yeah, I am, mate. But um, one thing I'll say, though, is is a lot of um, hindsight, like you said, you know, like, who knows, Dermot could have come in and had a real bad start with the Browns, you know? But the trouble is, if you appoint someone, you're uh, a yeah, vice president of whatever, basically the GM, and four to one on a committee don't uh, want to go one direction, and you as the owner overrule them, and just the whole management structure of everyone reports to Jimmy Haslam is not how it should work. Um, and there seems to be some acceptance that that doesn't work and they've now changed the management structure. So, Does it work in any other clubs at all like that or no? I'm not aware of any team that you've got three or four different people reporting directly to the owner. Most of the owners in the NFL are very distant. They'll attend the team things and they're they'll come by every so often. He's a lot more hands-on, which can be good and can be bad. And unfortunately, you've seen a little bit more of the bad than the good recently. Well, good news is he's, it, we all know now the um, structure's now all changed. So there's no looking back. It's all looking forward. And hopefully it's not a case of blowing it up because Sashi Brown was promised a four-year plan and it didn't get to four years before we blew it up. And suddenly the fruits of that success are now what we're seeing. Um, but How long do you think Dorsey's got? Who knows? Um, if Dorsey blows the cap and Dorsey's allowed to blow the cap, then it might be one year after Baker's rookie deal ends. Because if we're in a position where we're having to cut someone like Miles Garrett, because if you build a team where 20, over 25% of your cap is in Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett, you're not going to win anything. So... You might flirt with making the playoffs, but you're not going to have any success. And that's where you don't want to become as a team. And Dorsey's track record of blowing the cap is pretty prevalent. Well, mate, me and you, we've done this little uh, piece that's going to be in a future episode. It's bloody hard to spend all that cap space. Well, um, it's not what you do in one year. The trouble is when you're going to pay Miles Garrett, probably more than Matt got as a cap percentage, he's probably going to be the highest paid pass rusher in the NFL. And then you're going to end up with Baker Mayfield becoming the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Suddenly that's two very expensive deals. And yeah, why those two players are great. If you can't, I would rather have four or five really good players than one elite player. And that's a risk you're going to take. You've seen the Patriots. They've moved on from fantastic players like Chandler Jones, and that's made them a better team because they can, bring in more talent around and continue winning. All right, cool. Let's look through this um, Browns uh, guardrails uh, piece. So the top line, I think, is really, really fascinating. It gets missed by many people that have looked at this. And it's a quote by Paul D. Podesta. And it says, constantly questioning the efficiency of your belief system and trying to uncover value where it is not readily apparent. And I think that's a, we must continue testing these beliefs. And it's the idea that constantly you're reevaluating the decisions you make and i do it with how i come together with roster construction and things like that because if you're not looking at the plan and how you going about something and constantly going is that the best we can do and looking to elevate it then you're never going to improve so i think it's really just 
it's a very basic point. I think it's a really key point. So let's focus on free agency first. It's the first draw, the first part. So there's five key principles. We'll go, I'll go through the five and then we can discuss them. Don't pay for depth. Identifying difference makers. Be cognizant of scheme production. Factor in leadership and toughness. Build your roster and use free agency less and less. And age is important. Um, and I, I think it's a really, really solid point is you don't want to go out there and spend a load of money on a backup. Um, you don't want players that they've overproduced because they've been in a certain scheme and they're actually not that good. Um, and every, all the top teams in the NFL, free agency is a very small part of what they do. But hasn't Dorsey come in and like cornerback room, for example, he's gone in and uh, paid for depth. I don't think he really has because I think um, you only really paid three and they're, they're all sort of starter level um, because you had Ward um, that came in as a draft pick and you never want to rely on your draft picks to come in and be starters. But if you look other than that, there was three paid for and you can, you can have three starting corners in Carry, EJ Gaines and Terrence Mitchell. So I, I don't think it was too much paying for depth. It's, if you throw in sort of four or five million on your backup um, of a certain position, then yeah, it's stuff you, you shouldn't be doing. Um, and age is important. For me, I'm never a fan of picking up any free agent over the age of 28. Um, I just think it's, it's poor business unless it's a one-off. Uh, Fells and Perryman? Um, Perryman's still a kid. Um, Fells is older um, and it's a blocking tight end. It's one of them rare positions where you never, you can't draft blocking tight ends because they just don't teach it in college. Um, all right, cool. But it's all stuff that I've been banging on about, and it feels good that I'm, I'm not alone. Um, so if we look at the draft section, accumulate as many picks as possible, especially in the top two rounds. Accumulate future picks because of high discount rate. Be mindful of position scarcity character play and data help build profile. And I think this is really, really important about them trading back to more and more and more picks because it's always a good idea to have extra picks. And the whole idea that some of these crazy deals of trading like a punter for a fourth round pick, that sort of stuff of it doesn't matter if you're trading that picks back into later years. If you're getting brilliant value, then just keep stacking up these picks. And if you could, say, trade someone for a fifth round pick or a future third, take the future third because you're going to have to use it and it just builds that talent. So I'm always a fan of stocking as many picks as possible and really building that talent base. I get that point, especially because if you're doing first or third rounds, the chances of you hitting a success is a numbers game. So the more numbers you have in that range the more chance of being successful. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And once you get to sort of day three of the draft, you really, it's, it's luck, unless you're looking at sort of weaker positions. So the linebacker, running back, you can get starters in rounds four and five, but some positions like you're never going to get a starting quarterback, you're never going to get a starting um, player in lots of positions unless you're really, really lucky. So, it's, yeah, there's only a few positions you're going to find a starter there. So, and talent retention. So the players already on your roster, churn the bottom of the roster, 
play young guys to know what you have, identify and pay early, make this a great place for players. And that's just some really basic points about it. Any manager in any business um, could probably attach to a lot of that stuff. Um, churn the roster, constantly go out there and find these players. And you've still got the Perryman and Robinson fit perfectly into that idea of these are players you can bring in and just constantly go, are you good enough? Can we find some value there? And if they're not, you just move them on and you keep cycling it through because there's not enough play positions on NFL rosters for all the talented players out there. And you might find a, any player that's sort of battling to get on the roster is not going to be incredible, but they could be good at something. And the Patriots have a knack of it. They bring in all these running backs that other teams have got rid of and go, oh, they couldn't do everything. But if you can just do one or two things, and as long as you've got good coaching, it's going to elevate their play. Here's a position, and it's good to see me and Deep Podesta, we're thinking the same way. Keep you two just want to get a room now? Oh, mate, I'd love to sit there in a room with him and pick his brain for about four days. I could be asking him questions for four days straight, and I'd still would only get halfway through what I'd want to ask him. So key positions, quarterback, cornerback, pass rusher, offensive tackle. And they are the four of the five positions I'm in favour of selecting in the first round of the draft. I don't believe you should select any other positions. Obviously, once you get outside the top 20, yeah, you can pick up some other stuff. But the only other position I'd look in there, and it wouldn't be right at the top of the first round, is tight end. Um, but they are great look at positions and the other note is quarterback keep investing so do you think looking at this document now we should be now going for a quarterback in say round three um i personally not this year um i'm why not why not we know it's going to hold value always great backup and a quarterback is so key yeah i never want to get in a position where you're two quarterbacks both contracts expire in the same year Okay. Because um, obviously if you hit on one in the fifth, sixth, seventh round and it works out and they're the backup, fine. But I'd, I wouldn't want to get to the position in four years' time where Baker's fifth-year option expires, this um, other quarterback's contract expires, both in the same season, suddenly you're lost everyone. Um, and that's the reason why I wouldn't go as high as a third. I've got no issue next year taking a quarterback in the third round if there's one they like. Um, I'd say the ceiling this year for me is about a fifth. And hopefully, that'll be um, Gardner Minshew, who uh, tweeted, um, as, as, sorry, told Jim Nagy at the Senior Bowl, if he measured in at um, 610, uh, what, 6010, I don't know how they quite do the numbers in America, that he would uh, crowd surf out there. Um, he knew he weren't going to hit that height, but uh, he was just joking. So he's a good character and uh, lots of bacon. So we are in his corner then. We really want him, yeah? Oh, yeah, I, I did. I quote tweeted it and put, I don't care what you want to do, Browns, just take him at 17. <laughs> Which will never happen, but uh, why not? Communication. Weekly organised football meetings, work together, no uncoordinated leaks. Um, and I just want to make a point on uncoordinated leaks. And uncoordinated leaks can be really useful in the NFL. So, like, when it was leaked that the Browns are going to release Josh Gordon, it was just an open invite to the league of come bid for him, we're looking to move on. So there is a reason to coordinate leaks at certain times, but that obviously failed. Um, 
epically the lack of communication between the parts um and yeah it was a disaster cool cool uh what last one salary cap um couple here so competitive advantages analytics big data and odds psychology and information gathering sports science really basic stuff coaching allow the coaches to coach remove management burdens and have a coordinator pipeline and i think we finally might have hit the coordinator pipeline i want to be like the patriots where all of our top coordinators are being stolen every two to three years because that means they're really good and then you constantly bring in better um, coaches at the bottom level because all the best coaches that are coming into the league to be position coaches are going, I want to go to the Browns. as the same way they said, I want to go to the Patriots because this is the best place to be successful in the league and my best chance of having a really good career. So fingers crossed, we're going to crack that one. Um, salary cap, maintain flexibility as long as possible, at least until veteran franchise QB. Because when your QB hits that veteran deal, that's a massive burden on the salary cap, especially when you're thinking that's 13% of it gone. Um, be able to exit after year two without, with no dead cap, um, but in no event be longer than the third year. So always by the end of that third year, you shouldn't have any dead cap on it. Obviously, if you have, say, a million on a player, you're paying 10 million a year, then that's nothing but keep it really small be creative slash ahead of the curve in contract structuring so it's really positive good stuff obviously there's been a few contract zeitler as deal sort of maybe doesn't hit that but um obviously you're not going to be able to do it with every deal but there's solid solid principles and learning um evaluate ourselves constantly create our own data and compile what we are creating and learn from other sports organizations because there's lots of stuff in other salary cap sports and even NFL teams have learned from Premier League teams Premier League teams have learned from NFL teams so there is cross sport work but it's a really interesting set of principles that is worth keeping an eye on when we're talking about free agency and stuff going forwards because this is the stuff Paul De Podesta is creating that the Browns are still using and it's just really fascinating that this document for me was more interesting than the entire Seth Wickersham story because it's actually tangible and you, you can see some really clever stuff in there cool 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 well mate i think it's a uh, good article um it's looked at a lot of our flaws it gives us a lot of uh, areas w w that i think you me and you know especially about because we will we will constantly go we don't want to draft a wide receiver in the first round um, that's kind of things that we always preach. Yeah, so, um, and that, that was something that I didn't like at the time, and I, I still don't like this. And I've, it's something I've always pointed to a mistake they made is touching a wide receiver. I just don't think it's a good investment. Um, but did you learn anything about certain hashtags you should avoid using? Yeah, DP. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was so humorous that it was in there, and it, it took them so long to get it down. Yeah, well, look, not everyone knows what double penetration means, mate. So, uh, you know, it's one of them it's things, you know. Dog pound. DP to me is a bit of cream you put on your muscles to warm you up before a soccer game. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. but look, I just want to finish off by saying um, 
I know the Haslam's are probably getting a real ear bashing today, but every everything that I've met with them in person, uh, they've always been very uh, hospi- hospitable. Pouring pints in London, met them in Cleveland, always got time. So um, that's a side of them that they probably people don't write about is that they seem to always have time for people in the community, um, which is not a bad thing being an owner. No, I, th- I think the point, even all the way through the article, it's, it's not that they don't care, which is obviously the worst thing you want from an owner. It's not that they haven't invested because they've invested. It's just trying to balance between someone that they don't have an NFL background and no owner really does. Um, it's just trying to find that balance of knowing when you should interfere as an owner and when you should just take a step back and go, look, I'm paying these people to run my football team and you're going to pay them a lot of money. Let's just trust them. And hopefully this will just help reinforce that setting the boundaries of where they should get involved and where they shouldn't. But it, it's just that frustration of um, Sashi was so close. And if it wouldn't have been Hugh, could this whole thing be different and we'd be in a completely different place now, but it's one of them things who knows. And, uh, one day they'll write a book about the uh, 16, 17, 18 Cleveland Browns and it will be an incredible read. I'm still hunting uh, Sashi Brown for you, mate. We'll find him one day. But yeah, and uh, the last thing I want to say is uh, four Browns players out in the Pro Bowl at the moment. Big round of applause for them, guys. Great to see four names this year at the Pro Bowl all representing Browns. It's amazing. Good to see. Um, hopefully, we'll get some more there next year. But focus on hopefully we can get four names in the All Pro team next year because that will be it's a better judge. Uh, but uh, it's just it'll be really good if we're getting players there. Hopefully, though, there will be no players at the Pro Bowl next year for the Browns. Remember, Paul, we don't want any players there. We want them playing a game a week after. Ah, very clever there, Jack. And hopefully, our 2,000 retweets that we got for them helped them that little bit so uh, there we go if, if Brendan Colquitt had had a Twitter account he'd be there and that is the silly nature of the Pro Bowl um, it, Tyler Boyd would have got an invite but he didn't have enough Twitter followers it's, it's, it just drives you mad not when you're a social media guru like myself but anyway let's go to the danger zone <laughs>